episode of Calm, Cool, and Connected is brought to you by Bridgeside Medical Clinic, Chesapeake Integrated Behavioral Healthcare, and Edgar Casey's ARE. Hello, and welcome to Calm, Cool, and Connected. I'm your host, Dr. Elizabeth Bedrick. Autism spectrum disorder is a bioneurological developmental disorder that can impact the development of areas such as social interactions, communication skills, and cognitive functioning. Research indicates that about 1 in 54 children in the U.S. have been diagnosed with autism and that this rate has continuously grown over the last 20 years. And while it's a relatively prevalent disorder, it's often not openly discussed or talked about, and likely because it's not very well understood. So joining us today is Thomas Henley, who's here to talk with us about his personal experiences with autism, as well as the ways in which he's increasing awareness regarding life with autism. Hi, Thomas. Welcome. Hi, Elizabeth. So nice to have you. Nice, nice, nice to be on, finally. I apologize for the, 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 the ways, because I, I know that we had some issues with the time differences. So. <laughs> well, you're all the way in the UK and we're in the US. So is that, what part of the UK are you in? Part of North Yorkshire. So just, just at the top of the UK. Okay. All right. So yes, there is definitely a, a time difference issue there. So tell us before we jump in a little bit about yourself. Tell us about your journey and, and a little bit about your background. Sure. So uh, I was diagnosed with what was once called Asperger's syndrome at the age of 10. And at the age of, you know, it was something that, that my parents had always fought in the back of their mind. I showed a lot of the typical manifestations of it, you know, such as the, the physical signs like the stimming. And it was all well and good and, until I got into secondary school, which is where the difficulties really started to happen. People seemed to progress a lot quicker than me and it left me in quite a vulnerable state. I received a lot of bullying and it was a very anxiety-provoking time in my life. And I developed, you know, quite quite a few quite severe mental health conditions due to that. Started off my, as you would say, career as a Taekwondo athlete where I competed for GB at a couple of events, including getting a gold at the, the Commonwealth Championships. And I also went to university where I studied by the University of Manchester, where I studied biomedical sciences and uh, researched further into pe personally what autism meant to me and, and tried to distinguish how it made me different and how to understand other people. Oh, very interesting. And so you sought out that education specifically to be able to understand autism more more clearly and, and the impact that it has from yeah. from that biological standpoint. Was that your objective? Yeah, it was it was a lot to do with the, the biology at the at the start of it. And you know, it was it was a very general course that was specifically targeted to human science. But I used a lot of the skills that I got from that course in my own personal writing and personal research into psychology, into sociology, into philosophy and I wrote a lot about my experiences in order to first understand myself and how to deal with my own mental health, which is different for autistic people. Well, and you mentioned that with when, when the bullying started, when the discrimination started, can you help us to understand how that influenced your mental health? What, what was the impact on your mental health of that? Um, it was intense for me. You know, what, one, one thing that t tends to happen is that people's social skills and their emotional development tend to really deviate themselves from, you know, neurotypical to autistic people. And so there's a big gap in, in understanding of those, those situations at school. So it leaves autistic people as really prime targets for, for bullying 
and all sorts of discrimination and, and social isolation. Which I'm sure that leads to this increase in symptoms of, as you mentioned earlier, anxiety, but also I'm sure depressive symptoms as well, feeling really isolated and potentially feeling different than. And what was that like for you? Did you, do you at that age, did you personally notice these differences that you're describing and what toll did that take? Well, the, the, as a, as I mentioned in, in my slight introduction, it was, it was by, by no means a, a very mild case. It was, it was quite a severe case of anxiety and mm. depression, which, you know, manifested in different ways, like the typical dissociative type conditions, perhaps, perhaps sort of certain delusions that sort of kept me kept kept me saying you know not really understanding the differences that I had to other people okay and we we know from from long-term studies that chronic pain whether it be anxiety or, or actual chronic pain eventually sort of leads to subdevelopment of a, a depressive type disorder uh, absolutely what did you do to start working through this. So what what were some of the approaches you used to address the mental health concerns? A lot of it was a lot of the, a lot of the benefits that I really received was was when I started to look into philosophy uh, mm. actually because psychology and and science only only really gets you so far in terms of understanding your your brain but I was kind of reaching a bottleneck bottleneck in that because I understood what was going on but I couldn't accurately target it and so the the the, the tenets of stoicism and you know perhaps for for a small amount of time positive nihilism was was quite productive because it allowed me to refocus my efforts from trying to be happy trying not to to feel bad and trying to improve focus of I need to try and help people and eventually, over time, trying to go for that meaning, that goal that's, that's stable throughout my mood fluctuations actually made the most impact on my overall mood in the long term. Was there something that you wish, like, so when you reference secondary school, when this all started, is there something that you wish that your parents or that the school would have done? Or is there something that your support system could have done differently that for people listening who maybe are parents of or or educators of this community, they could be more sensitive and helpful to that. What might that be? I think it's it's very hard to give a single thing that that people can do to to help. And I think a lot of the time we focus a lot on the professionals and the parents in order to try and fix this. And in, from from my opinion, talking to autistic people and my own experiences and looking into the literature of the biological and social implications of mental health for autistic people, it does seem that one of the best things to do would be to raise the overall understanding and awareness of, yes. of children from, from a young age and also help the parents firstly understand what's going on in their, their autistic child's brain from listening to other autistic people speak about the issues they have. Well, and that's the work that you're doing currently. You and I are connected on social media and I see that you frequently, that is a big portion of the content that you put out is bringing awareness and understanding. Can you share with us more about 
that, that, you know, what is really your objective behind doing that in social media? Um, well, that, recently in social media, I've, I've took a little bit of a turn because a lot of the content that's put out by other autism advocates tends to be for autistic people. Whereas I mm. think I have a lot more of a, an overview of, of what I want to see. And, you know, the, the truth is we make up maybe 1% of 1% to 2% of the population of the world. So it's, it, you know, it's, it seems important to, to try and include the other 99, 98% of people in order to try and really push the changes that we want to see. Absolutely. And that's what I really enjoy about your content is you can tell that it is specific to bringing awareness for somebody who might not understand it. And so I think that that's really helpful, especially because there can be maybe some fear about being offensive or asking the wrong questions or being insensitive. And so when you are just openly putting out the information, you're opening up this platform for those questions to be asked. It can be a very, it can be a minefield these days, especially for any, for any area where there's, there's any sense of discrimination. So yes. I think it's, it's definitely important to, to put out that message that if someone needs help and someone needs help understanding something, we are here to, to take you as you are and try and try and let you in, you know, what's happening in the, the world of autism. Yes. Which is so helpful. What do you think that autistic individuals would want others to know what are some things like as we're starting to wrap up what are what are some takeaways that the community would want others to know obviously i can't speak for the community because i'm a i'm an individual sure what i would say that would be to the benefit is that you know we have these two models of disability one's the the social model one's the medical model medical model is a very old model that says Absolutely. that if you're autistic, you are disabled. And so we need to try and fix your autism to, to get rid of the issue. The social model is quite the opposite and it's more nuanced and it's something that a lot of autistic people and professionals prescribe to. Mm. And it's about understanding that autism provides some differences and the disability comes in when the differences are not managed. They're not, they're not integrated into the, the systems that we have in education, okay. systems, all of that stuff. And so it's really important to be aware of the, the, the impacts that you as an individual can have on the lives of individual autistic people. And that is, I mean, that's such a great point that it is, doesn't have to be treated as a disability. It's just different than neurotypical or that what the mainstream is geared towards and so I love that, that there are so many strengths and so many just valuable areas how your brain operates and the difference is what makes it beautiful. And it's, 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 always, it's always a really funny thing because I, I never, I always get the same reaction when I tell anybody that I'm autistic and it's because they don't expect someone who's autistic to be able to socialize and, and communicate and understand emotional social things and I think that's really important to highlight that it's just a different set of skills that we're, we're brought up with the efforts that we put in determine what kind of person we are it's going to be harder for that aspect yeah. of stuff but in the same vein it's going to be harder for someone else to to get good at the things that we're good at 
Absolutely. It's so well said. Well, Thomas, where can our viewers find you at? Where can they find you? A website or social media? Well, my website is thomashenley.co.uk. Very easy to find. My Instagram is Asperger's Growth. That's where I pr produce most of my content. And you also have my, my video platform, YouTube, Asperger's Growth. My podcast, which is going to be starting up very, very soon again, the second season, the 4040 podcast. And that's everywhere that you can find it. Very cool. Thank you, Thomas. And everyone, go give him a follow. Such good, informative content you're putting out. I really appreciate it. Thank you Thanks for being so here. Thanks for having me on, Elizabeth. I really, I, I really do appreciate it. Absolutely. And thank you all for tuning in to this episode of Calm, Cool, and Connected. Please make sure to find us on Facebook and Instagram. And also make sure to rate and subscribe to our podcast so that others can discover our content as well. Thank you again for joining us in this episode of Calm, Cool, and Connected.